The following message, entitled The Marvelous Deliverance, is part three of the series, United, and was given by Joe Ryer on July 24, 2011, at Sovereign Grace Church of Indiana, Pennsylvania. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to read from verses 1 through 10, and before I do that, I want to pray, ask God for help. Well, Lord... Thank you so much for your mercy and grace in our lives. And Lord, we, we agree with the song, better, better one day in your court than thousands elsewhere. Lord, many of us in this room have, have spent thousands of days away from you not knowing you. We are so grateful to know you. And Lord, as we go through this familiar passage, Lord, would you please tune our hearts once again to the amazing grace that you have shown us. Lord, open up all of our eyes wider to see how loving and gracious and merciful you are. And Lord, would you please help me to preach your word faithfully. I just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if this is your first Sunday or your guest, we are going through a series in the book of Ephesians. And today is the third message of the series. And if you're into titles, the title of this message is United, the Marvelous Deliverance. United, the Marvelous Deliverance. Look in your Bibles at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Paul writes the following. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich, in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us. In Christ Jesus, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. When this passage, I think by the time we're done this morning, we're going to have a fresh reminder of our marvelous deliverance, the marvelous rescue that we have all experienced. And a summary statement for this passage may go something like this. Remembering our bad news magnifies our great deliverance. Remembering our bad news, what we are like naturally, 
it magnifies our great deliverance. It, it magnifies the one who delivered us. And so we're going to start this morning with some really bad news. So if this is your first Sunday, you've come on a Sunday where you're going to hear some bad news. But keep in mind, the bad news isn't for bad news sake. It's to magnify God and his grace toward us. One of the challenges with with how the Bible describes how sinful we are, how wicked we are by nature, is is there's something in each of us that, that battles that description. We war against that description. When I, when I read the Bible's description of human nature, I think of my neighbors who are very friendly but might not know Jesus. And they, they do things for me at times without asking. They'll shovel snow or give us vegetables, just very kind things. And, and you can be tempted to think, is that person a guilty sinner like the Bible says? And they are, because all of us are. But we live in a culture that, that really celebrates human goodness, really celebrates and, and says that there's good in every human being. And if you don't believe me, I want you to imagine if I was in charge of making up a television show that accurately portrayed the Bible's picture, description of sin. And I want you to imagine, those of you who have children or grandchildren, I want you to imagine your little son or daughter watching this show. And this show that I'm designing, we'll say we put it on Noggin or Disney, it features a little boy, and his name is Totally Depraved Tommy. So Totally Depraved Tommy. And the tagline might be something like, he looks cool on the outside, but he is a total mess on the inside. And then you you get to hear a little bit more about him before the show starts. And it starts something like this. Totally Depraved Tommy, you know what he's like? Well, he hates God, little boys and girls. He hates God with a passion. And you know what else, boys and girls? He hates his mom and dad. And you know what else? He loves to do mean things to his brother and sister. In fact, on today's episode, we're going to see him hit his sister. He's going to steal something from his brother. He's going to take all the green tomatoes from his neighbor's garden and throw them at his neighbor's dog. Because he looks real cool, but he's a mess on the outside. And not only that, boys and girls, does he hate his mom and dad? Hates God, but he hates you too. Well, imagine that show. That show would be on the air for like a minute, and then there would be all kinds of mail that all of these TV channels would receive because we react against that. Just this morning, before I came to church, my son Adam, who's three years old, he he just woke up. He's as cute as can be, especially in the morning when he's sleepy. And I thought, he doesn't look... Like, like Paul's going to describe. He looks cute and sleepy. Now, later in the day, he looks more like Paul's going to describe. But in the morning, he does not look like that. But we need to know and remember our spiritual condition by nature. And the reason we need to know that is because when we, we get a grasp of who we are by nature, and then what God has done for us, God becomes so great and marvelous and gracious. And so we're going to start with bad news for a little bit, but then we're going to get to great news. And the reason we're doing this is because we want to remember the bad news, so the great news is magnified. William Hendrickson, a Bible commentator, wrote the following. This is my hope for all of us this morning. 
The more men learn to see the dimensions of their utterly lost condition, the more they will also, by God's grace, appreciate their marvelous deliverance. The more we come to grips with how utterly lost we are, the more we'll appreciate our marvelous deliverance because we have received a marvelous deliverance. Well, let's start with the bad news. So first point, we must remember our bad news. Verses one to three packed with bad news. Look in your Bibles at verse one. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. First thing Paul reminds us of and he reminds the Ephesians of, and everybody would have read this letter, is, is remember you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Remember you were spiritually dead. There's been a lot of debate about the word dead over the centuries, but it really means dead. So when the Bible says we were born dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked, that's really what it means. We all, by nature, are spiritually dead. By nature. No life in us. If you, if you picture the hospital with the machines running, what you would hear on the monitor for all of us spiritually is we're all flatlined. We're all dead. The beep would be silent. There would be no, no occasional beep on the monitor. Because by nature, we have no love, desire, taste for the things of God. Remember, as a teenager, I went to a church when I was little, had a Bible, but, but didn't know anything about God. I didn't have a taste for the things of God. The only times I ever thought of God as a teenager is when I, I would get in really serious trouble. And I say, oh, I remember I had a cross somewhere in my closet. I'll pull that out. Jesus, help me. But I didn't, didn't believe in him. I just didn't want to get arrested. I didn't want to get in trouble. So I prayed, but I, I, I had no taste for God. I had no love for God. I had no joy in God. I had no desire to obey God or follow God. Why? Because I was born dead spiritually. You might have heard the description that some use of, you know, picture an ocean. There's been a big shipwreck and we're all swimming around. And we're grasping for life and we're trying to keep our head above water. And then Jesus comes in the lifeboat and he's throwing the preserver out and we're grasping and reaching it. And they say, that's a picture of faith. And we hold on. Well, the problem with that illustration is it's not the biblical description. The biblical description is Jesus pulls up in the boat. He looks down in the water, thousands of feet below, and we're all laying at the bottom. We're all dead. There's lobsters and crabs crawling through us because we are dead. There's no, there's no one raising an arm. There's no one shouting out. We are dead. 
naturally. There's no life in us. That's bad news. That is bad news for all of us. But remember, Paul's writing to Christians because he wants them to remember the bad news. Because when you remember, as we were singing this morning, I was remembering my spiritual deadness, my spiritual blindness, my hatred for God. And the fact that now I'm alive in God, there's no explanation for that but the grace of God. And it's the same for you. So remember, you were dead. Paul, some more bad news for us. Look at verses 1, 2, and 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. In those verses, Paul wants us to remember, not only were you dead, but you were a slave to your sinful desires, and you were a slave to Satan himself. We, we were in bondage. We had chains wrapped around us. We could do nothing but what was in keeping with our sinful nature. And somehow, though it may not feel this way, Satan ultimately was ruling over us. And you read that description, and you might be thinking, but I I didn't feel that way. I didn't feel like I was enslaved to sin. I didn't feel like Satan was ruling over me. You might be thinking, I didn't. I'm not a drug user. I'm not an ex-con. I'm, I'm not one who spent life just wreaking havoc with sin. So you might think, well, is this description really true of me? It really is true of all of us. I want you to think about the guy writing this letter. This is the Apostle Paul. And from what we know in other parts of the Bible, is, is the Apostle Paul, even at probably at a young age, boy age, 10, 12, 13, if you would have saw Paul, he would have been carrying around his scroll of the Old Testament. So little Paul would have been, you know, at the meetings, at the church meetings, pulls out his Old Testament. He knows the Bible. He says he loves God. And dads, if, if you knew Paul wanted to pursue your daughter as he got older, you'd think, yeah, I, I want my daughter to marry Paul. Because he's not doing anything outwardly crazy. He is trying to obey the Old Testament law. And and if you found out, hey, the Apostle Paul just asked my daughter on Facebook to be friends. You might have a conversation with your wife thinking maybe, maybe we say yes. Even though he's 12, I think he has a good future. Well, Paul himself, in his own words, a Pharisee of Pharisees, as to the law, blameless. He, he includes himself here. He, he was a slave of sin. He was dead in his sins. He was ruled by Satan. And so when we think of sin, when we think of transgressing God's law, doing something different than God's law, rebelling against God, it doesn't always have to take the form of outward immorality. Your slavery may be or could have been 
just a proud, arrogant, self-righteous attitude. And so if you're in a room with a lot of people, you're thinking, I'm the smartest person here. I'm the wisest person here. I know the most about this in the room. And you're not attributing that to God. You're just feeling pretty proud about that. Well, that's slavery to sin. It could be anger. You could feel so tied up to the sin of anger. And it is enslaving. Well, that, that's sin. Or maybe more subtle is you have or had this intense craving for the approval of other people. And so... If you were ever in a room with people, all your thoughts are consumed with, I wonder what they think about me. Or you leave the situation and you're replaying everything you just said in the conversation because it's so enslaving. Well, sin takes many forms and it it, it can hide and it can fly low under the radar. But whatever form it's in, it was in all of us. And many of us in this room have experienced freedom from that slavery. Now, I think there's some of you here this morning that you're totally convinced of the slavery of sin because you you try to get out at times. You try to stop doing certain outward sins because maybe it's the consequences, because maybe deep inside you, you know they're wrong. And every time you try to push a little bit to break free, you can't get free. The, the, the chains get tighter. And you feel powerless to do that. I I can relate to you. I can remember at times as a teenager thinking, I'm never going to smoke marijuana again. So I buy a bag of marijuana, then I feel bad about it, and I throw it out the window. And then it'd be IUP as a freshman. I'm not going to drink anymore. I'm not going to go to parties anymore. Say that at 10 in the morning, 7 at night. I'm, I'm well on my way to being drunk once again. I couldn't stop. I couldn't change myself. The reason is, is because I needed power that I did not possess. I needed strength that I did not possess. And it's the same for you. If you feel enslaved to your sin and you want free, here's the great news for you. Jesus can set you free. Jesus has power to set you free. Jesus will just rip the chains right off And you will be free. But you need to turn to him and cry out to him for mercy. And we're going to see that as we continue through this passage. But we we want to remember whether we were a five-year-old slave of sin or a 45-year-old slave of sin. You were a slave of sin and ruled by Satan. Here's the last bit of bad news in this passage. Remember... We were objects of God's wrath. Look at verse 3 one more time. He says, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. We were by nature children of wrath. You might might ask, what's God's wrath? What does that mean? What that means is God is a holy, just God. And because he's holy and because he's just, he promises that he will punish guilty sinners. He promises that when we sin against him, if we're not covered by a savior, we will be punished 
for our sin. So what that means for all of us is that by nature, we were objects of God's wrath. We by nature had a target on our head. If we would have died apart from Christ, we would be in hell right now. Experiencing God's right, just, and holy punishment. Objects of His hatred of sin. That's sobering. We could all be in hell right now. I can remember as a teenager, there were a few occasions where I almost died. I, from all the foolish things I was doing, I remember one occasion I could not breathe any longer. Because of all the stuff I consume. If I would have died. I'd be in hell right now. Experiencing the wrath of God. For my sins. It's the same for all of us. We were objects of God's wrath. In Jonathan Edwards famous sermon. Preached in the 1700s. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. He in one scene describes. How dire our condition was and how merciful God was to us. He describes it as you we're like hanging from a thread, like a thin spider web, and hell is below, and there are flames licking up at us, and it's just a thread, and we're dangling below. And it's sheer mercy, the sheer mercy of God that He doesn't let go. It doesn't drop us. It doesn't cut the line. So I had enough of Joe Ryer. He's gone forever, eternally punished. Well, all of us, all of us, every one of us were in that condition. And some of you this morning are still in that condition. You're not covered by Jesus's perfect life and death for you. You haven't trusted in him yet. And so you're, you're still hanging And the flames are licking up. And they're trying to get at you. But God, in His mercy, won't let them. He's giving you another opportunity. And if that's you, can I tell you how glad I am that you're here this morning? How glad I am that you're hearing about Jesus one more time. Because Jesus wants to save you. He wants to rescue you. He wants to take that wrath upon Himself For you. So there's no more punishment for you. Well, we want to remember the bad news. Because it sure magnifies the good news. You guys ready for some good news? This brings us to point number two. We must marvel in God. Look in your Bibles at verses four and five. In light of this backdrop, we're dead. We're slaves. We're objects of God's wrath. There's a great, a great change. Verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him. And seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages He might show 
the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In other words, what Paul's saying is, all I just wrote about in verses 1 through 3 is true, but God, who is rich in mercy, poured out mercy on you. But God, who is, is so rich in mercy. Oh, he's just, he's holy, but he is rich in mercy and love for each one of us. And this should, for those of us who are Christians, this should, this should enliven us. This should tune our hearts and fill us with joy. Because we have a God who is our Father who is loaded with mercy towards us. He is rich. He is absolutely loaded with mercy and love towards every one of us. You picture, imagine if, if in the Kids Cove, the children's ministry right now, there's a billionaire over there. We didn't know about it, but he just comes in and you go to pick up your kids, your grandkids today, and, and your, your little son, Sammy, says, you know what, you know what, Grandma? You know what happened today? This guy I never met before, he gave me $100 million today. And, I, and, and little Sammy's got money everywhere, coming out of his ears, coming out of his pockets, coming out of his socks. He's stuffing it everywhere. And all he knows about the man is that he was loaded and he was generous. He was rich. Well, that's God. God, God is like that. God just is throwing out grace and mercy. Oh, you're a guilty sinner. Come to me and I will save you. I will clean you up. I will wash you. I will free you. I will just pour out blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon blessing in your life. Well, God, why would you do that? Because I'm rich in mercy and love. Because I sent Jesus to die for your sins. That's how much I love you. I, I gave up my precious, innocent son for you. Because my justice deserved to be satisfied. I had to satisfy it. But the only way I could satisfy it is I needed a perfect sacrifice and jesus was that perfect sacrifice jesus willingly said father i'll go i'll enter that sinful world i'll obey you perfectly so that when i'm 32 or 33 years old i'll climb up on that wooden cross between those two criminals and i'll hang there and i'll take that wrath that was hanging upon everybody's head and you can Pour it out on me. And that's what Jesus did for us. And while he hung there, God poured out wrath upon Jesus. Jesus absorbed it all. So that if we trust in Jesus, no more wrath. No more punishment. If you're a Christian, you will never be punished for your sins. Jesus paid for it all. Why? Because God is rich in mercy and love towards us. Oh, I'm so thankful for verse 4. God's so rich and generous. His great love, which He loved us with. Christian, don't, don't doubt God's love for you. If you have been saved by Jesus, He loves you. He loves you greatly. He loves you richly. He has grace upon grace upon grace for you. John Bunyan, the Puritan 
used to describe God's mercy and grace like this. There's a big storehouse of God's grace, and he has bags upon bags with each of our names on it. Oh, there's, there's Michelle. I'll grab a bag of grace and mercy, and I'll just pour it out on her today. Well, that's, that's how God is. He's so generous towards us. So that's the foundation is his love. But look what he did for us. Look at verse 5. Even when we were dead, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Remember what Paul said? He said you were dead. You were lifeless. But in Christ, God made us alive. Remember that picture? We're all laying at the bottom of the ocean. We're just laying there. Nothing happening. Lobsters crawling over our heads. No life. Then one day, out of nowhere, life. One day, all of a sudden, the monitor began to beep. And it kept getting stronger and stronger. Where'd that life come from? That life came from God. God put that life in us. God made us alive. God gave us sight, spiritual. I can see why Jesus died. I never knew it. I heard about it. I heard the songs. I saw the paintings. Made no sense. All of a sudden, makes sense. Why? Because God made you alive. That is good news. That is amazing news. That's the kind of news we should tell. We should speak about. We, we should sing about. Because God made you alive. God loves you so much, you're at the bottom of the ocean. Nothing happened. God's Spirit comes inside of you, and life begins. That's incredible. You now have a taste for the things of God. You want to sing to God. You want to read your Bible. You want to love God. You want to obey God. That's a change. There was a time in your life you didn't want to do any of that stuff. But God made you alive. What a gracious, generous God. If you're a guest and you're, you're wondering this morning, why were people raising their hands and, and doing kind of funny things while we were singing. Why, why was that happening? Well, well, here's my guess. They were so aware that they were once objects of God's wrath. And now they're so thankful that God made them alive. And so they want to sing. They want to raise their hands. They want to shout because of what God's done. When I read this passage, one of the things I think of is, is when Jesus in the Bible heals the ten lepers. There's ten lepers. They're, they're diseased. They're outcasts. They, they, they can do no good because of their leprosy. They have to be separate from the regular people. And then Jesus comes in and heals them all. But do you remember what happened? Only one came back. And Jesus' question to the one was, where are the other nine? Where'd they go? Didn't they too get healed? Well, that's how it is here. We who are Christians, we have been made alive. 
So one of my prayers since the early days of, of Jesus saving me has been, Lord, if I don't do anything well, I want to be like the, the leper who returned. Because I, I know, I know my sinful leprosy. And I know what you've done. And I don't ever want to be silent about that. I want to tell about what Jesus has done. And I know it's the same for you because you have been made alive. That is great news. Well, there's more good news to come. Look, look in your Bibles at verse 6. So we've been made alive. It's by grace. Well, verse 6 says, And raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places. Not only did God make us alive in Christ, we're so united with Christ that, that in a spiritual sense, when Jesus died on the cross, we who have put our trust in him, we died too. We died to our sinful nature. The power was broken. And when Jesus was risen from the dead, we too rose spiritually from the dead. That same power. Well, it's the same for us who are Christians. We are so united spiritually with Jesus that, that God raised us up with Christ. This, this can be hard to get our minds around. But it's true that you who have trusted in Jesus, you are so tied together with Jesus that what he experienced, you experience. And not only were you raised with Christ, not only that, but somehow, spiritually speaking, in the present tense, we are seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We're seated with Jesus. You might be thinking, has this guy lost his mind? We're seated in Indiana right now. We're not seated with Jesus. Well, spiritually speaking, we, we are so united with Jesus that he is seated in heaven. He has won. He has conquered. And he's our righteousness. We are so tied there with him. And so if you're one who at times can be tempted to doubt your salvation or, oh, I really... I really make it to the end. Life is hard. I don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't know if my faith is going to continue. Well, if that's you, and you've trusted in Jesus, you're going to make it. Because Jesus conquered sin and death. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Your righteousness is secure. And if that's, if that's you, if you... If you're tempted at times, there, there's a verse in the Bible, and I'm drawing a blank if it's in Isaiah or Jeremiah, but, but it basically says, a, a bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. How that applies to you if you are, you feel like I am a beat up Christian. I feel like I'm just going to break, snap. No. Jesus has you. Jesus saved you. Jesus Loves you. Jesus is powerful. You're going to make it. Or you feel like a smoldering wick. There's, there's a little spark left. And one more trial. One more bit of bad news. And the flame is going to go out. No. Jesus has you. Jesus saved you. Jesus loves you. Jesus raised you. You are connected to Jesus. Who is seated in heaven praying for you. He's got you. He's going to make sure you make it to the end.
because he loves you. What? That's good news for us. But there's more good news in this section. I feel a little bit like a used car salesman here. There's good news at a great price. Um, there is good news. Look at verse 7. It's a little disconnected, but verse 7. There's things that await us in the future. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Not only has God done all the things we just talked about, but there's future grace and blessing awaiting us. And not just future grace coming in 2012 and 2013 and 2014, but there's, there's future grace coming way into the future, into eternity. God is going to keep pouring out blessing and blessing and grace upon grace upon grace. So we'll be there 10,000 years, as John Newton wrote, and we'll still be marveling. Wow, I knew back on earth you were amazing, Jesus. And I knew like five billion years ago you were amazing. But now I think you're even more amazing because the grace just keeps on coming and coming and coming and coming. It's incredible. If you're a new Christian, you've recently trusted in Jesus. That's awesome. And here's what I want you to know. Is there, there's just lots of grace coming your way. Reminder, when we go on vacation, one of the things I love about the first day of vacation is kids are excited about the beach. They're excited. You, you get them to bed, talking to them at, at night, and, and I get to tell them the great news. You know, guys, this is a lot of fun today. But you know what? We're going to be here all week. There's a lot more fun coming. Well, that's how it is for Christian. You, you've received grace. You've been made alive. Well, guess what? There's a lot more coming. There's a lot more grace coming your way for all eternity. And that's good news. Well, look at verse 8 and 9. Here's some more good news. God's going to explain how he saved us and why we can always be confident about that. Look at verse 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For by grace you have been saved. That's God's unearned favor. So, in other words, we get what we do not deserve. The foundation is free grace and love. And that's what we've been saved by. That's what we've been rescued by. Well, how'd that happen? We've been saved through faith. So the channel, the avenue is faith. We at one point turned from our sins and placed our faith in Jesus and all that he's done for us. It's by grace through faith. And then he gives some qualifiers because he knows, Paul knows how we're going to try to change the equation a little bit. He says, and this, this great salvation you have, this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Your salvation is not your own doing. 
You did not save yourself. I did not save myself. I was laying at the bottom of the ocean on the bottom of the pile. And the only reason I'm saved, the only reason you're saved, is the free grace of God. For some of us, I think the longer we walk with Jesus, the more we're tempted to, to change the equation. Yeah, I was first saved by Jesus, but, but now I think I just need to do a little bit more to just keep, keep being saved. No, you weren't, you weren't saved by your works. You're not going to be kept by your works. Works, good works, are what God does in us. And they're a response, but they're never the ground on which we stand to approach God. It's always Jesus. So he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. There is no boasting for a Christian. Jesus did it all. Jesus rescued us. Jesus saved us. He did it all. Which is so wonderful. One of the things I'm glad about this section of the Bible is that it doesn't stop at verse 9. It would be okay if it stopped at verse 9. We'd be excited. We're going to heaven. We know there's grace awaiting us. But it wouldn't give me purpose. It wouldn't give you purpose for your life. And that's why verse 10 is so helpful. If you're wondering, what, what should I do with my life? How may God want to use me? Find great encouragement in verse 10. And when we read verse 10, keep verse 1 in mind. He's saying you once walked following your sin and Satan, but now he's going to give us a new way to walk. Look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. For we are God's workmanship, that, that word workmanship really means, literally means his work of art, his masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. God took us from the bottom of the ocean. He put life into us. And now he's going to change us. He's going to make us a new creation. And he's going to use us for his glory. We're his workmanship. We once were useless. If you would have met me as a 17-year-old, I was, I was useless. You wouldn't have wanted me to hang out with your son or daughter. There was not much good happening if you were around me. I was useless. But here's the good news. God has work for each of his children. We're each a little masterpiece that he, he has saved and cleaned up and put life into. And then he has work for us to do. And it's good work. It's lots of good works. And here's the good news. God prepared these beforehand that we should walk in them. So, so he didn't forget you when he's, he was coming up with, what's, what's the good work list for that, that Christian? No, he has a perfect plan for you. There's good work for you to do. There's good work for us to do. That starts with just obeying Jesus and, and living a life that's in keeping with what he's done. But it also includes all the different ways he wants us to use the gifts he's given us to bring honor to him. I just want to close with this last illustration. 
I have a dad who's very handy, and one of the things he loves to do, he really desires me to be handier than I am, and, he, and I'm getting there. But he'll send me magazines a lot. He sends me this old house magazine, and one of the things I love to look at in the magazine, <laughs> I have my own children who do that as well. <laughs> one of the things that I love to see in the magazine are these dilapidated, old houses that you could just imagine the wrecking ball is just like hanging right outside the door, ready to crush and destroy this house because it's useless. And then somebody comes along who sees it differently. And they just see this beautiful house that once existed. Just like we were made before sin existed to have great fellowship with God before sin entered the world. They see this house as, oh, it's got got great potential. And then... You, you flip through the pages, you see the transformation, and then, wow, this doesn't even look like the same house. This is incredible, and it's useful, and it's just a great picture. Well, that's us. We're like that house, wrecking ball, ready to destroy it. And then God plucks you out, and now he has good work for us to do. Isn't that great news? And the reason that's all possible is because God is rich in mercy and grace. Let's pray. If I could have the band come up. Father, Lord, thank you for reminding of us of this bad news so that your grace and your love is just magnified. Lord, I, I pray as we sing, I pray, Holy Spirit, each of us would encounter you and you recall just certain scenes from our lives where you have just been pouring out blessing and mercy. And Lord, help us to remember that time period where you made us alive in you, Jesus. And Lord, give us great hope and faith for the future. We just ask this in your name. Amen.